listening to Into the Void, a Black Sabbath podcast with your hosts, John and Darren. Welcome to Into the Void, a Black Sabbath podcast. I'm your host, John, and I'm here with my co-host, Darren. And for today's episode, we will be discussing Holy Diver, the debut studio album from the band Dio. Released on May 25th, 1983, the album would find Ronnie James Dio finally fronting his own band after stints in Rainbow and Black Sabbath. After the tension-filled release of Live Evil, the first official live Black Sabbath album, Ronnie would pack his bags and leave, or be told to leave, depending on who you believe. Drummer Vinny Apice would follow him out the door, and the two would quickly begin working on material for what would become the Dio Band and the album Holy Diver. During these early sessions, Ronnie would play bass and he and Vinny worked on early versions of songs like Don't Talk to Strangers and the title track, Holy Diver. Still missing a guitarist and after some unsuccessful auditions from the local Hollywood talent pool, Ronnie would reach out to his former Rainbow bandmate and bass player, Jimmy Bain, for some recommendations from the European metal scene. Jimmy quickly suggested a young Irish guitar player named Vivian Campbell, who at the time was playing in a band called Sweet Savage. When they eventually all got together to jam, there was an immediate chemistry with Vivian. Upon seeing and hearing the potential of the band, Jimmy Bain would take the available bass player spot and the band would be complete. The band would enter Sound City Studios in Van Nuys, California, and produced what many would consider to be one of Ronnie's finest moments, the album Holy Diver. From its classic front cover art of mascot Murray drowning a priest, or is it the other way around, to the legendary songs like the metal call to arms, Stand Up and Shout, or the signature tune of the Dio band era, Holy Diver, or the MTV video hit Rainbow in the Dark, the album would become Dio's defining moment and a classic in the annals of heavy metal history. All right, well, here at uh, Into the Void, we are moving along chronologically in the history of Black Sabbath. Even though this is a Black Sabbath titled podcast, we've already done some of the Ozzy solo records, so we thought it would be important and we should do the Dio solo albums also. So chronologically, after the release of Live Evil, we arrive not that long after, literally like about six months after Live Evil was released. Here we are at the Dio band and their album, Holy Diver. So uh, Darren, what are your memories and thoughts on Holy Diver? Uh, you know, I wasn't, again, I, similar, similar to the Dio fronted Sabbath, I wasn't, I wasn't quick to it, you know? I mean, it, it took a little while for me to, um, to buy Holy Diver. Um, in, in some ways, I was almost glad that that Dio was out of Sabbath because I guess in the back of my mind at that time, I had hoped that maybe Ozzy would come back and I'd have, you know, the classic Black Sabbath lineup again. But shortly after word traveled that Dio was out, then there was already, you know, the 
the headline that that uh, Ian Gillen was was joining Black Sabbath. So that that took care of that. Um, and I was excited to hear that because I was a Deep Purple fan at that time, and and I thought that you know, like like a lot of other people, in theory, that that sounded like a pretty exciting thing. But we'll we'll get to that later. But for now, Dia was on his own. I saw the solo album in the record stores. I wasn't really attracted to the idea of a solo Dio album, but I saw the cover. The cover looked cool. You know, I mean, it had a uh, kind of a Black Sabbath vibe. It had you know, the devil on it. It had this occult sort of uh, cover painting, which piqued my interest. Um, but still, I, I didn't get it. Um, and it wasn't until probably a few months later that I heard Rainbow in the Dark on the radio. And I thought it was really, really good. And um, I appreciated it because it didn't, it wasn't Black Sabbath anymore, even though I had like this um, kind of a possessive thing with Black Sabbath as being like a, you know, an uber fan, even at that stage of my life. I felt like this was now fair game. I, I could like Dio without it interfering with my preference for the Ozzy era Black Sabbath. So after I heard Rainbow in the Dark, I went to the record store and I got I got Holy Diver. I took it home and it was great. You know, um, one thing that I don't think I was as impressed with, I, the songs are great. All the songs are catchy. Uh, Dio's voice sounded great. I was hoping that it would be a lot darker. I was hoping for something that sounded closer to mob rules. Didn't get that. So I wasn't really thrilled about the production, but I liked the songs and I liked the music. And uh, yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was a really good album. And I started getting into to that and probably it helped me get, make more of a connection with Dio and Sabbath and rainbow and the other things like I, I got holy diver so then i started digging back into the the deal rainbow stuff and then getting into probably more into the uh, heaven and hell and mob rules albums um so yeah i liked it i thought it was really good How about you uh it's it's interesting i didn't get holy diver till after i had last in line and i was trying to figure out in my head why that was. And I think that there were a couple factors. I lived in a very remote area, so I had no access to any kind of magazines or anything. I was too young at that time. Uh, this was the early days of MTV. This is of course way before the internet and, and stuff like that. And I remember seeing the video for Rainbow in the Dark and I checked and Rainbow in the Dark was released as a single the end of October of 83. So I remember seeing that video and uh, just as a funny aside, that was the first time that I had seen Ronnie moving. <laughs> I had seen pictures of him, but I had never seen a live clip of Black Sabbath with him at that, at that point, I hadn't, hadn't seen any. So this was the first time of me seeing Ronnie and 
for the longest time, again, I, I, I didn't have access to a lot of magazines. Ronnie's voice was so big. And I just thought that he was also a big person because in the rainbow in the dark video, it's him by himself on the roof of that building. So in my mind, Ronnie was a giant and, and in a lot of ways he is, he's a giant with his voice, with his music prowess, with his, his writing skills and, and everything else. And I can just remember those, he had these kind of boots on these white boots, I think they were, and he's walking yep. on that roof and everything. And just being like, wow, this is really, really cool. And Vivian Campbell, that, that guitar solo and everything, just being really taken aback by it. Now, because of my situation, you know, living in the middle of nowhere, it was difficult for me to get to a record store. And when I did, we were talking about this uh, before we started the podcast, that with limited funds, sometimes you were you were at the impossible crossroads of having to pick between, man, what do I, what do I go for here? Do I go for the new ACDC record or do I go, you know, you, you had to make decisions. And, <laughs> and also the record store that I had, I don't think was particularly hip. So if it just, if it wasn't there, it wasn't there. And I only got to the record store every two or three months, hadn't discovered record clubs quite yet. So somehow through all this, I had last in line first. Uh, but in short order after getting last in line, I then got Holy Divers. So really my first exposure to the Dio solo band was the song Rainbow in the Dark and then uh, the Last in Line album. I don't remember seeing the Holy Diver video till later. Uh, but when I got it, when I did get Holy Diver, uh, I mean, I loved it. I remember having the same uh, reaction that you did. And I think we'll talk more in depth on this as we go along about the production of the record. I remember being a little bit uh, taken back that it that it didn't have kind of the 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 uh, same weight to it that maybe Mob Rules had and Heaven and Hell had. It felt very bright uh, to me the production and uh, as I was preparing for this episode and listening to the album today, it, it reminded me of that that you know there is this sort of it's a pretty bright sounding uh, record tonally. Uh, but I remember just loving it right away. And with the recent passing of Randy Rhodes, which was just, yeah, absolutely heartbreaking to me. Randy was gonna be my guy. He was my guitar hero. He was my favorite guitar piece. He still is one of my favorite guitar players. So when Ronnie and Vivian Campbell, to me, it, it, it felt like Ozzy and Randy. Ronnie had this great young unknown guitar player. I loved his sound. I loved his soloing style. I remember getting a poster out of a guitar magazine of Ronnie and Vinny from that, uh, uh, yeah, Ronnie and Vivian Campbell from that era and just putting that on my wall. And it was like, okay, this is, th these are the guys that I'm rooting for here. You know, I loved this sort of dynamic that, that Ronnie had sort of discovered this guitar player and he, Vivian Campbell became one of my favorite guitar players. He's still a guitar player that I, that I really, really like. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I really like the record, the song, Holy Diver, he jumped out at me as it's kind of the heaven and hell of the Dio band era. That song itself is even sort of a little similar 
to heaven and hell. It's got a similar feel to it. The the way the band starts chugging and Ronnie is singing over it in the verses, the main riff, it reminds me a little bit of a little bit of uh, heaven and hell. And it's just, it's, it's just full of classics, things like stand up and shout, uh, you know, at this time I had, and also had not heard, it should be noted, I had not heard Ronnie with Rainbow at this point. I did not get those Rainbow records till a little bit later. I just could never find them in, in my store. So I only really knew Ronnie from, from Black Sabbath, but uh, but I liked it and it seemed exciting. It, it seemed like, okay, now I, I kind of felt, I was disappointed that he left Black Sabbath, but I kind of felt like, all right, well, maybe now I'm sort of getting, I've got a, the Dio band. I was still really into Ozzy. Ozzy had Jakey Lee. I was still into Ozzy and I had Black Sabbath. It felt like now I had three of my favorite bands. Like they had, you know, these offshoots of Black Sabbath and I was just, I was just digging all of them. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a great album that uh, I still return to uh very often i have fond memories of getting when i first got it or getting it and listening to it in the car you know with the cassette deck and everything and songs like gypsy and stuff like that it just you know memories of uh of the car stereo cassette deck in my parents car (laughs) just listening to it over and over again so yeah it's, it's funny when you mentioned um Randy Rhodes and how Vivian Campbell kind of reminded you of, of Randy in a way, as far as like a, a young guitar hero. Uh, when, when Dio left Sabbath, there, there's a similar way that Dio formed his band in, in, in it's it, it, similar to the way Ozzy put his band together, even some of the same characters, but, the one thing that's interesting is when, so, so Dio left, um, and there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, he was sort of, in a polite way, asked to leave Sabbath. Um, the bond between Tony and Geezer became tighter in a way where, so when Sabbath had success from Heaven and Hell, and then Geezer was sort of on the fence during the heaven and hell era. But then once things took off and, and it was successful, then he got back into Sabbath. And then it, it caused a conflict because when during the heaven and hell sessions, when, when it was, when Giza was sort of on the fence, Bill wasn't really there much. It was Tony and, and Ronnie. And so Ronnie had full control of the lyrics. But then when Geezer came back in and around mob rules, well, like Geezer wanted to get back into his, his old role of writing lyrics. And that was a conflict for, for Ronnie. Ronnie, you know, he was used to writing his own lyrics and creating his own melodies. So that was one of the things that, that kind of pushed Dio out. And then, of course, there was also the infamous studio debacle. So anyway, so then everything that transpired, Dio was out. He did have, as we talked about, probably in our live evil podcast, we mentioned that Dio had signed a contract for a solo album with Warner Brothers. Well, Warner Brothers, upon the success of Heaven and Hell and Mob Rules, 
they signed Sabbath onto a new contract and it was a better contract. And as like a sweetheart deal, uh, extra bonus, they signed Ronnie to a solo record. <clears throat> but what Ronnie's intentions were at that point, this is another point of contention with the Sabbath guys versus Ronnie, because they, Tony was aware of this deal. But what Ronnie's original intention was, it was just going to be a Ronnie James Dio record. It wasn't going to be a band. He was going to call on some friends like Carrie Livgren, um, various other people that he'd had, Jimmy Bain, people that he'd worked with before and just put something together and write some music that was not in the Sabbath vein, which was one of the things that, that I was kind of curious about when I first learned that Dio did sign a solo deal. I'm like, wow. And I even mentioned this at the time. Um, that that would probably rub me the wrong way because you'd have to wonder, well, what material is Ronnie going to save for his solo album and what's he going to bring to the Sabbath table? Well, I think Ronnie's intention was to keep Sabbath as Sabbath and do his solo thing as just an offshoot. But upon leaving Black Sabbath, and now he, he wasn't in Black Sabbath anymore, Vinny followed with him. <clears throat> now there was this this freedom to put his own band together and continue the music in the tradition of rainbow and sabbath especially sabbath and uh so the the correlation between those I, I started out making between ozzy and how ozzy formed his band and dio so Vinny and, and dio ended up at the rainbow in la because dio was living in torzana california at the time and Vinny was staying with them and they would rehearse out back in a wood shed. And the two songs that they worked on was Holy Diver and Dio, like you said, Dio would play bass and sing and, and, and uh, Vinny would play drums. And Holy Diver was one they, they put together. And that was originally intended for Black Sabbath. And then the other was Don't Talk to Strangers and, and Ronnie had a couple riffs for that, and they were kind of working on that and moving that along. But they want they realized they needed to get a band together. So of course they went to the Rainbow in LA and started to meet some people, and uh, things weren't really panning out with that. But Wendy, who had now decided that she was going to take on Ronnie's management area, she was going to start to manage Ronnie's career had already started managing a band called Rough Cut in LA. And one of the guitar players in Rough Cut at the time was Jakey e. Lee. So Wendy arranged for Jake, it was Jakey e. Lou Williams at the time. Yeah. Jakey e. Lou Williams okay. came down and auditioned for Ronnie. But Ronnie said he was kind of a hard person to get to know. They didn't really hit it off personally. And he realized upon hearing Jake play that he was really into more of a British style of guitar, something that was more melodic and less flashy. <clears throat> and I think that, that Jake at the time had, had basically a, a, a confident attitude about coming down and auditioning for Dio. And maybe that was helped along by Wendy because Wendy was impressed with him. And I think that he kind of thought he had it in the bag. And when, when Ronnie was like, hmm, Nah, he was he he had quit Rough Cut, so he was out of a band. So what's funny about it is that Wendy told Sharon because Ozzy was looking for a guitar player. Mm -hmm. 
Wendy told Sharon about Jake. Jake went for the audition for Ozzy's band and the rest is history. So, so Jake ended up in a pretty good place anyway. But anyway, so Roddy decided at that point that what he wanted to do was he liked that dynamic of half the band being American and half the band being English. It was, it was a situation in Rainbow at one point. It was obviously definitely the situation in Sabbath towards the end. So now it was him and Vinny, the two Americans, and he wanted to find the other two members to be English. So to get that dynamic. So off to England, they, they go. And of course, he hooks up with Jimmy Bain. But Jimmy Bain's, Jimmy Bain's busy working with Phil Lynott. He had just left Wild Horses. Wild Horses was his band after he got kicked out of Rainbow. So the entire time that Dio was in Sabbath, uh, Jimmy was in Wild Horses. Now Dio was out of Sabbath. Jimmy was out of Wild Horses, but Jimmy had already committed to being involved with Thin Lizzy, at least involved with Phil Lynott. Phil so, so Jimmy, for all intents and purposes, wasn't available at that particular point in time. But Dio asked if he knew of any guitar players. And while Jimmy was in um, Wild Horses, a band called Sweet Savage, New Wave of British Heavy Metal Band, had a guitar player that that Jimmy said was was really hot that Ronnie would probably like and he recommended to him. So they made plans to get together with with Vivian. Uh, Vivian came in and he impressed Ronnie, but it wasn't until they started. And the funny thing about it was Jimmy brought Vivian to the audition for Ronnie. And so Vivian got in there, took his guitar out, and then Ronnie noticed that Jimmy had his bass with him, which Jimmy wasn't going to play with Ronnie, you know, at least not in a band, but Jimmy brought his bass. So the three of them, four of them actually started jamming. They had a really good jam session and Jimmy just joined the band. He, you know, he, he just, assumed yeah. because they had such a yeah. great a, a great audition that he was in the band and from that point on jimmy was in the band and, and, and in ronnie's book he even says yeah i don't know whatever happened to the phil phil linnett thing i don't know what happened to the thin lizzie thing i guess jimmy just thought since the audition went so well that he was in the band and he's like and i was happy to have him so here we were he's like i called <laughs> I called Wendy, and i said i got it I, you, you know the idea i wanted with the two americans and the two english guys the, the two european guys i got it we got the band everything's cooking it's good to go. Um, but along the way also, it, you know, and, and I skipped this part, this is another correlation between the Aussie thing. Uh, Dio actually reached out to Bob Daisley to play bass. And, but Bob Daisley, and, and Ronnie thought the only challenge would be that Bob was in Uriah Heap because he was aware that Bob was playing in, in Uriah Heap last he heard. But then when he was talking to Bob and they went out to dinner, Bob said, well, no, I'm, I'm already obligated to play in Ozzy's band. He's like, Dio basically just threw up his hands and said, okay, well, that's the end of that. And so from, from Bob, he went on and they had, they finished up dinner, you know, had a nice meeting, were friends, part, parted ways. And then, and Dio hooked up with, uh, with Jimmy. So it, it's kind of interesting that, uh, you know, they ran into Dio's course 
took him to, you know, LA, but, you know, rather than how Ozzy met Randy, uh, Dio met Jakey Lee, who then would go into play in Ozzy's band, and he crossed paths with Bob Daisley. So it, it's kind of interesting that, you know, they, they kind of ran in the same circles in a way. And how history could have taken a different turn if, if Jake, Jake and Bob landed up in the Dio band. It would have been interesting uh, it, to hear, yeah. I, I, I guess it probably, well, you know, when Bob was in Ozzy's band, he just kind of took over the lyric writing by default. Um, it would have been interesting. I don't think Bob would have been insistent on writing a lyric, so I think Dio probably would have had full reign to do the lyrics and melodies. But having ideas to bounce off of Bob Daisley, it, it would have been interesting. But I mean, as it was, I mean, Dio's music was, was great. Um, to think of it possibly being any better is uh, would be pretty amazing. But yeah, and and you know, just another sort of connection there. You know, Jimmy Bain, uh, he w was involved a lot more in the songwriting than maybe some people realize. You know, he does have writing credits on you know three or four of the songs on the album, so he sort of comes in and and he was a big part of uh, you know the, the writing process of the record and Jimmy would be somebody that would be in and out of Dio's band uh, through his history and uh, sadly uh, Jimmy Bain uh, passed away yeah I mean, in uh, 2016 actually on the day that I believe we are recording this yeah. this podcast so uh, but you know uh, it is kind of interesting that it was almost like Ozzy was moving in a more American direction with his sound, trying yeah. to bring more American people in the band, trying to go towards that kind of L.A. Hollywood sound. Whereas Ronnie wanted that, you know, a British guitar player, a European guitar player to bring in that kind of sound to him. And I think part of it might have been that that's who Ronnie had, you know, he worked with Tony Iommi and he worked with Richie Blackmore. So that was the sound that he was, he was familiar with and he liked those kind of players. And so that's mm -hmm. why he sought out those players. Uh, you know, one thing though, when I did get this album, I, I, I remember thinking, I was hoping that we were going to get stuff like sign of the Southern cross and, that epic kind of Black Sabbath stuff. And although there, there are some elements of that on here, I didn't really hear anything that stood up to, like we're talking about Ozzy. You know, there was no revelation Mother Earth on here. There was no song Diary of a Madman. Uh, Holy Diver was pretty epic. Shame, Holy Diver is epic. Shame on the Night, the final track. You know, that that's a pretty Sabbathy one but it, it it felt like it was a little i was a little disappointed that i did i didn't get you know mob rules had falling off the edge of the world it had sign of the southern cross it had over and over it had these really heavy moody uh no, epic numbers to them and i was sort of expecting more of that from from ronnie and so i was in the beginning these these things grew on me over time but in the beginning, I was a little unsure of stuff like Caught in the Middle. Uh, I did like Gypsy, but there were certain elements to some of these things 
it, it wasn't quite as heavy as, as I wanted it to be. And although, you know, I liked it, I guess in my mind, I was just kind of thinking like, oh, it's going to be all sign of the Southern Cross and you know, lonely is the word and things like that. And now looking back on it, I, I, I get it because you can hear after you listen to and Holy Diver and, and Ronnie in the band, his band Dio, you can hear then Ronnie's influence in Black Sabbath and Rainbow and what he brought to those bands because you hear some of those elements and some of those types of songs here on uh, Holy Diver. He said when he auditioned Vivian that he could tell that Vivian was not very familiar with the early era of Black Sabbath, but he was very familiar with Heaven and Hell. But even more so, he was a big Rainbow fan. And I think, if anything, if, if the album musically goes in one direction or the other, I think it definitely veers more into the Rainbow direction than yeah. it does in the Sabbath. Um, but the other thing that is noticeable is that the guitar is actually pretty light in the production. Um, just listening to it the other night, what I hear predominantly are Ronnie's vocals and Vinny's drums. And I love Vinny's drums. I mean, I think Vinny's a great drummer. Um, you know, he's a heavy drummer and it really holds the bottom end down um, listening to it. Uh, I, I like that dynamic, but the guitar and the bass are somewhere just kind of like on an equal level in the middle. And I, I would have rather have heard along with the drums, some heavier rhythm, some heavier bass. I mean, as it is, the guitar in the mix is pretty polite. Um, and that, that's unfortunate because I mean, yeah, there's some really good riffs and stuff, but it doesn't, it doesn't really take, it doesn't really come into the forefront too much on Holy Diver, at least to my ears. Yeah, um, totally. I mean, speaking of the production, the guitars on this album are very bright. There is not a lot of bass, the frequency on this, this album. The album in general is very bright. You can hear J Jimmy Bain's bass instrument is there. But Jimmy has a very bright sounding bass. He played with a pick. He had a really bright tone. And the guitar on top of the guitar having a very bright, almost fizzy, brittle sound at times. It doesn't have a lot of bottom end to the guitar sound. And I think of like the song Stand Up and Shout, for instance, it's just, it's, it's very, it's a very bright sounding guitar sound. And that, that for me is one thing that I, I, I don't really like that about this record. Another strange thing is I was listening to it today it sounded to me, now it should be noted that uh, this album was produced by, by Ronnie. And at this point in, in, in his career, he clearly knew what he wanted after, you know, being in Rainbow, he had his band Elf, then Rainbow, then Black Sabbath. They didn't also, they also produced this themselves because they, they financed this album themselves yeah basically and it does there's another sort of tie-in with with Ozzy Ozzy sort of in the same somewhat similar situation with his first record where they sort of financed it themselves and in Ronnie's book he talks about how him and his 
manager wife, Wendy, they, they put the money up for this. And, and part of it was they wanted to do it their way. They didn't want somebody else telling them what to do. And when they knew it was going to be a hit, they really believed in it that they could do this. Then they would be able to say, okay, here you go. We proved it to you. We did it our way. And here we delivered this amazing record that's selling well for you, Mr. Uh, you know, Warner Brothers Records. Uh, <clears throat> but maybe it's because Ronnie produced it. And maybe if they had a, uh, you know, more seasoned producer. But when I was listening to this today, I really noticed that there's differences in the way some of these songs sound. Like Holy Diver sounds fuller to me. It almost sounds like they knew that this was going to be the first single and they mixed it that way. Stand Up and Shout is very bright to me. Gypsy almost seems like everything gets a little bit smaller. So there's like a little bit of an unevenness to the production across this record. And I don't know if that's because, again, Ronnie produced it. Also, it should be noted, you know, I think one of the things that was appealing about Vivian, besides the fact that he was a great guitar player, was he was young and he after Ronnie after having worked with bands where the guitar players were the dominant figures Tony Iommi and Richie Blackmore I, I he I don't think and Ronnie says this in, in his book you know he didn't want to be in another position where there would be a guitar player who would be throwing their weight around if if you will and I think Vivian coming in as a young guy that allowed Dio to really shape Vivian and take him under his wing and really guide him. And Vivian talks about how when he showed up, Ronnie was like, this is the amp you're going to use. And Vivian, he's a young guy. He's playing with the singer from Black Sabbath and Rainbow. He was like, okay, you know, they rented a Marshall JCM, whatever amplifier and that's what that's what Vivian used. It wasn't until the last in line where he Vivian had more uh, say in his sound. He said he just showed up basically and did whatever Ronnie told him to do. And so Ronnie really kind of molded him and shaped him into the guitar player that that he wanted him uh, that he wanted him to be. It really brought out of him, you know, I think his this great playing his 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 style because if you listen to sweet savage there's good guitar playing on it but it's certainly not on the level of you know what he was what he was doing with dio this is way more focused way better songwriting the solos are are more thought out more structured and fit fit the songs much better yeah there's one song the sweet savage song straight through the heart which the basic riff is pretty much caught in the middle. I mean, they really took that riff and molded it into caught in the middle and then took the title and applied it to a different song. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, no, there's definitely a marked difference between the Sweet Savage material with the exception of caught in the middle, which was a Sweet Savage riff. But yeah, there's, there's definitely, you can tell there's a lot of DO experience that was the influence to the music in, in the majority of the songs on Holy Diver. But you could also hear where there's a different element to it that could have only been provided by the guitar player. Some of the faster riffs. And what I, 
what I thought was for Dio wanting to get a more European sounding guitar player, he, he could have done better with somebody other than Vivian. I thought there was quite a bit of flash in Vivian's sound. It's a lot of speed. There are some yeah. pinch harmonics in certain places. That's not really something that I would associate with a, a more melodic English style guitar player. It sounded to me, and, and still does, that there was a lot of American influence in Vivian's playing. And that comes across in, in this. And I don't think it's I don't think it's bad because I think it gives it in a lot of ways the same appeal that Ozzy stuff did. It took some of the English sounding hard rock heavy metal and brought it into more contemporary context with some flashy guitar work. There's that with this album as well. Not as consistently as Ozzy's with the presence that Randy has on Blizzard and Diary. Not quite as strong as that, but there there is a notable flash to to Vivian's style. I think that the I I detect um, certainly. Then we'll go song by song like we always do. But there's certainly half of the material on this album sounds like something more similar to Sabbath or Rainbow, and the rest of it sounds like something that's unique completely unique to anything that Dio has been involved with before. And I think that's pretty cool. It, it, it definitely gives this record a personality that helped establish Dio, the band, as opposed to Dio, the guy who was in Sabbath and Rainbow and hearing songs that sound like that. This, I think Vivian did provide some personality and character to the Dio band with his style. Um, it wasn't completely molded, I don't think, by by Ronnie. I think a, a lot of it was. I think Ronnie did, like you said, I think Vivian was only 19 or something. He was yeah, very young, extraordinarily yeah. young and uh, probably intimidated by the whole situation. And then by default, anything Ronnie told him to do, he was probably pretty subservient. And, uh, and that's pretty obvious, too, in certain ways. But um, overall, I think there, there is a lot of Vivian in this, what I can hear. Yeah, how did this uh, stack up for you compared to, you know, at this point we had Blizzard of Oz and Diary out. How did you feel about this compared to those albums? I, I didn't, yeah. I mean, I, I for one, I, I love Ronnie's voice. I, I probably have grown more fond of it since this album. Um, but at the time, I was a big fan of Ozzy's voice. And, and like you said, you already mentioned that there was kind of a darker tone to Ozzy stuff. There, 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 was a, there was no revelation, Mother Earth, doom and gloom kind of a, a vibe to this. There was, there was different um, moods, and some darker things, darker themes going on with, with Ozzy's stuff. I, 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 don't, I don't think I... No, I was still very much an Ozzy fan, even when this came out. This didn't blow me away to the point where I'm like, yeah, who's Ozzy? I'm all about Dio. <laughs> I, mean, I liked it, uh, and, and I, I liked Dio's voice, but no, I was still, I was still definitely uh, on board the Ozzy train, still on board the crazy train. Um, yeah, but pretty I mean, much. 
pretty much the same for me. Same thing. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Shall we jump into the album then and take a look at the songs? All right. It opens with Stand Up and Shout. So this is a great album opener. This 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 would sort of be a thing that Dio would do with his first so many solo records. He he does this with a lot of his records where the opening track is really upbeat, comes right out of the gates at you. Uh, I love the heavy metal family vibe to it. Let's all, you know, stand up and shout. You know, it's a great crowd number, you know, a song that Ronnie would, would play uh, in his set list on and off for, for the rest of his time. Uh, it is a Dio and Jimmy Bain written song. Uh, the opening riff there, Vivian's opening riff is really, really cool. Uh, this is a good example you were saying about Vivian. And I think maybe because Vivian was young and I, I think I've heard him even say this, that he really wanted, you know, we're, we're now getting into the, to the era of the guitar hero, the guitar shredder. And he really wants to make a statement. So like the solo in this is just him at a million miles an hour, just absolutely, you know, tearing it up. And it's, uh, it's a great song and it's a great album opener. It's a great concert opener. Uh, just a really cool riff. If I guess if we were to compare this, this leans a little bit more towards the rainbow uh, side of things, this sort of long live rock and roll, stand up and shout, we rock. These are similar themes and uh, vibes that uh, Dio would go for in a lot of his music. But uh, as the way it stands, it's a, it's a fantastic opening number. It's, it's a real, you know, statement here. He did, Ronnie doesn't waste any time. They don't waste any time. They come out of the gates uh, screaming and swinging here. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's it's typical uh, album opener for a Ronnie James Dio related uh, project. Definitely a call to arms. And we got a little bit of a Neon Nights. We got a little bit of a Turn Up the Night. Uh, Long Live Rock and Roll. Um, yeah, kicking things off. High gear. It's just a good way, you know, get you excited right from the beginning. It doesn't creep into something that starts to form somewhere around the middle takes you right off immediately puts you in the right frame of mind and gets you excited um Vinny's drums are phenomenal in my opinion I I just love Vinny I, I think he uh I think he was dumbed down a little bit while he was in Sabbath and you can just feel the energy coming off his playing on this album like ah free at last and he his fills are are much more complex uh they're lengthy it just sounds like he's having a fun time playing along and he's he's tight with the guitar and uh and it really adds to the excitement and the energy of the song so you know right off the bat it feels like okay you've got dio and he's energized and you've got this great guitar player that's just playing fast and he sounds hot and then you've got Vinny who went from just throwing boulders to now getting more intricate and more uh fill oriented which he probably wasn't permitted to do while he was in Sabbath. So, you know, it, it feels like a, the whole song kind of feels like a release and symbolizes the start of this Dio band in, in a good way. So yeah, we're off and running. Okay. Then the title track is next. Holy Diver has that long atmospheric keyboard intro. 
then when the uh, main riff kicks in, as I mentioned earlier, this 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 is maybe the uh, the heaven and hell of, of the Dio band era. It's kind of a signature signature song from them. And in a lot of ways, it reminds me a little bit of Heaven and Hell, the main riff, the feel of the song, the tempo is roughly similar, the way Ronnie uh, sings over the the verse there with the guitars and the bass sort of pedaling on that, on that one note. Uh, this is one of my favorite Vivian Campbell guitar solos. This is an excellent guitar solo. It's very melodic it, it sort of moves in parts it starts off kind of slow with big bends and stuff like that and as it as the band picks up intensity so does uh, Vivian's guitar playing until it builds to like a real big climax and Dio comes back in uh classic metal song when you're ranking the greatest metal songs of all time this this one is almost always on the list somewhere uh great song you could hear this one you know you mentioned earlier that this is this is one that this is credited to Dio him uh solely and so it was one that was probably kicking around and, and would have gotten brought up if, for a third Black Sabbath album studio album after Mob Rules and you can kind of hear that this is probably one of the more Sabbathy sounding uh numbers on here but it's a phenomenal tune, uh, great lyrics, great melody from Ronnie. Ronnie does, does so good when it's that sort of triumphant style melody line from him, like the way the verse is in this song. Uh, the video for it is perfect. Uh, it's just a, it's, it's a great song. Yeah. Um, so this, yeah, like this is one of the first songs that, that Dio and Vinny started jamming on and Ronnie said that it was one that he intended to bring into Sabbath. Um, I can see it sounding a lot different if it were to become a Sabbath song. I don't think that Ronnie would have given a riff to Tony and said, play this. I think that Ronnie may have given the basic, the general idea of Holy Diver to Tony and then Tony would have taken it and elaborated on it and maybe made it better or certainly would have made it sound different. So he probably wouldn't have ended up with the same song. Um, as it is, it, it does have a Sabbath vibe and it is one thing that kind of calls on that Sabbath association that Dio had that is kind of sprinkled liberally within the album along with you know the rainbow tenure. But this is probably the closest thing there is to maybe one of two songs that are closest to Dio's time in Sabbath. It's dark. Um, there's some sound effects in the beginning, like that a synthesizer thing in the beginning. That's kind of kind of demonic and kind of flirting with the uh, the occult thing that Sabbath had, you know, some uh, association with and. Uh, so yeah, I mean it's a call back to that, and uh, definitely uh, definitely heavy, kind of creepy. But uh, in spite of that, it's actually become very popular. And you know, you can go to a baseball game and they'll play it uh, between innings, <laughs> which yeah. is kind of funny. So yeah, I mean it, it it's basically it's it's classic rock. But I remember when I first heard it, I thought it sounded really dark and I pretty creepy, kind of creeped me out a little bit. But uh, yeah, it's a heavy, it's a heavy tune. Pretty simple, 
simple riff driving, but it gets the point across really well. Good tune. Yeah, and for me, this 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 was kind of when I heard this, I was like, okay, you know, here we are getting close to the the more Sabbath thing, and I was thinking it was going to go more in this direction. Uh, then we go next though to Gypsy, and I do like this song. It's uh, you know the main riff in it is is pretty catchy. This is another kind of Ronnie thing, singing about evil women, uh, stealing your soul, that, that kind of uh, vibe that he did with like Lady Evil and other songs. Uh, so it's, it's a fun song. It, it, it kind of comes, comes and goes pretty quickly, uh, pretty straightforward. Uh, Vivian Campbell, Dio writing credits on this one, some cool guitar playing pretty cool vibe to it i like uh ronnie's delivery on it it's a fun song yeah it's it's one of the lighter songs on the album very direct um i think it's one of the more american rock sounding songs um the riff is pretty straightforward it's got a wouldn't say it has a familiar melody but it has a very comfortable melody um it's not dark it's not particularly heavy it rocks pretty hard and gets to the point quickly and it's a good song i mean i i'm just a little reluctant to call it filler but it's almost to the point where it's filler considering you know the rest of the songs on this side um but you know it's good you definitely hear uh definitely hear vivian some uh tasty riffs yeah, and I know what you mean. It's it's I wouldn't call it filler either, but it does have a little bit of lacking the, uh, you know, again, some of the stuff that we were hearing on on Mob Rules, especially. I mean, we had a little bit of this type of thing on, on Heaven and Hell with like Walk Away. But the next song, Caught in the Middle, for me, that really has kind of a this is probably my least favorite song on the record. It's a little too poppy sounding for me. The chorus of it, uh, I like the main riff in it, sort of the start stop feel of the main riff, but the, the, the verse and the, the chorus in it, they're just a little, wasn't quite dark enough. And at this time, what I was really into at this time was stuff that had that kind of moody, dark vibe to it. And I still am to this day, you know, we've already mentioned sign of the Southern cross falling off the edge of the world and uh, the stuff that was coming out of, you know, from the Ozzy album, S-A-T-O or Believer, you know, the way those songs had that certain, certain moody darkness to them. And this song doesn't really do that for me. It kind of feels like filler. And if there's a fault that I find with this record is, Maybe this song, Gypsy, although I do like Gypsy better, but uh, maybe there's, it, it's, it's this lacking. I wish there was some more darker, um, heavier, if you want to say it that way, more intense songs on, on the record. So Caught in the Middle for me, kind of filler, uh, my least favorite song here, but cool guitar playing. I, I do like that main riff at the beginning of the song. I think it's pretty cool. I think Dio's musical personality was really propped up by who his guitar players were. I think, 
prior to, to Sabbath, his musical personality was developed by the guitar playing of Richie Blackmore and how Richie's guitar playing, how Richie's music affected what Ronnie brought to the songs, the lyrical content, the melodies, you know, Ronnie took what Richie gave him and pushed it back on him in a way that influenced him. So the two things worked together. Similarly, Ronnie did the same thing with Tony. Tony pushed these heavy riffs to Dio. Dio took it. He modulated his voice. He wrote lyrics and melodies that served the riffs, served the, the music, served the style of the band. So we've, I think at this point, we've established Ronnie James Dio as one or the other or both. But on, he, on this album, there is no dominant presence that Ronnie's coupling his creative energy or his creative juices with. It's all pretty much Ronnie and a young guitar player who's more or less subservient to Ronnie, which is why, the way Ronnie wants it. But there isn't that same dynamic where you have a strong guitar presence that, that brings 50% of the vibe into the song, you know. This is mostly Ronnie, and we don't really know Ronnie as an individual without that influence. Um, and this is pretty much what it, what it is. This is predominantly Ronnie, and songs like Gypsy and Caught in the Middle, I think, basically exemplify Ronnie's natural personality and what's in his own wheelhouse. Um, and I think that's the predominant thing that guides most of the material on here and Vivian kind of helps that along. Um, Caught in the Middle starts off with a riff that was clearly taken from a sweet savage song called Straight Through the Heart. Uh, Ronnie changes the melodies, changes the lyrics of course, changes the bridge, makes it a better song but as soon as you hear the sweet savage song called uh, Straight Through the Heart you recognize the riff right away. So they worked off of that. That was basically the template. Um, but again, I mean, the song itself, the riffs, they're cool, but they didn't have the, this, the larger than life personality that, like, that a Richie Blackmore riff would or a Tony Iommi riff would. So we're really working off the strength of, of Ronnie's sensibility when it came to creating melodies and things like that. So the things that I guess we were most fond of from Ronnie's career, his tenure in Rainbow and his tenure in Sabbath, really aren't present here without those two domineering forces involved with it. Um, but in spite of that, they're good songs. They're catchy. The riffs are cool. It just doesn't have quite that same uh, personality that, that you describe. It's not epic. It lacks a very epic quality, which... Fortunately, I think Dio does develop on his own in time. And I think that starts to manifest itself. And maybe it ends as well on the last in line, because by the time we get to Sacred Heart, it sort of diminishes. But for a point in time, Ronnie did develop his own personality, which kind of was uh, part of his resume, let's say, that he brought into his own personality. But at this, this is Ronnie starting from square one. And I don't think that he really realized that it was as important for him to continue what he had done in Black Sabbath or to continue what he'd done in Rainbow. And I think he did get that idea later on because 
in his later solo stuff, you could hear more nods to Sabbath. You could hear more nods to a rainbow vibe. And here, I think he's, I think he's just kind of finding his way. And I think they're, they're just songs that, you know, he's in a room with these guys. He's listening to, to Vivian plays, getting some riffs, he's throwing some melodies out there. He's writing some lyrics and the songs are kind of taking shape without any game plan in mind. So that's where we are with this at this point right now. Yeah, and when we say epic, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to mean a long song, like a stargazer type epic. I, I even think of like Country Girl, you know, that's a pretty straightforward sort of, it's not a super, super long song or anything, but there's, 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 a, there's a mood to that song that, that that always attracted me. Those were always my favorite things. Those type of songs that had that that certain mood, that certain darker, more heavier uh, feel to them. But this is sort of part of Ronnie too. You know, when you go back to Rainbow, there were moments like Starstruck, Do You Close Your Eyes, that were just more kind of straightforward, melodic rock uh, type of things. And so I think that that's in Ronnie would carry this through his, his solo, you know, with the Dio band, uh, stuff like hungry for heaven and you know things like that so i always think that that's part of you know ronnie has this part to him it's just as a young kid i was really hoping for the more intense heavier sounding stuff so things like caught in the middle just just kind of went by me a little bit it just didn't didn't grab me as as much and also the the it always felt like with black with the black sabbath albums if we compare it to ozzy's solo albums there was more guitars going on like it, it like on the ozzy records randy overdubs all these rhythm guitars and there's just a lot of like guitars going on ozzy also had a keyboard player that you know, filled things out. Tony always had a really big guitar sound that took up a lot of space. And I, and, and it felt like, and we talked, maybe this is the production. We've talked about the production. It just felt that this didn't quite, this album doesn't have that a lot on here. It, it kind of just sounds like one guitar playing the riff you're just not getting these sort of intricate layers that i was hearing in black sabbath that i was hearing yeah. in some of the ozzy solo stuff that i even heard on the rainbow stuff you think of stargazer or light in the black there's yeah. just seems to be a lot of little textures and layers between the keyboards and the layered guitars and everything whereas this seems way more straightforward i mean Vivian would a lot of times double his his rhythm, but it was really just kind of more meat and potatoes, straightforward kind of kind of riffing at times, and uh, that 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 sometimes did, did, didn't appeal to me. And here in Caught in the Middle, there there is a little bit of that. Too. Well, I think, I think is, yeah, I mean, I think this is where you get into a conflict of you know the artist doing the production themselves and having a producer like a Martin Birch that can take as an outside, as a visionary, take everything he hears and mold it into something that has a vibe, that has an atmosphere, that has a quality to it, that has more, you know, of an atmosphere that, that has like a, takes on a life of its own. With this, 
uh, you know, you have Ronnie and, and Ronnie went into this knowing, well, I'm not going to fall into this situation. I'm, I'm not going to have my vocals at a certain in a certain place in the mix. I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. So there it becomes it's more about Ronnie and his past experiences and him correcting things that didn't go the way he wanted them to in previous situations. So it's more about the vocals and it's more about one musician in the band's vision of how they want it to sound as opposed to somebody who's outside of the band and creating, you know, uh, a proper production. And that's not to say that there's anything wrong with the way the album sounds. It's very clear. You know, everything yeah. for the most part is audible. I just question the levels of some things. You know, with music like this, I mean, you definitely, regardless of how great of a singer you are, you definitely want to hear, you know, loud guitar. You want to hear the riffs. The riffs, you want that to really resonate through the production. And I, I don't think this does. Um, it's clear, it's audible, but it just doesn't have the same sort of excitement that Martin Birch brought to Black Sabbath or Rainbow. And, and I think that's the biggest deficit to this. I also thought, and I still think that when you compare Heaven and Hell to Mob Rules, Heaven and Hell by comparison sounds a little anemic than in, in comparison to Mob Rules. Mob Rules is just it's just an amazing, thick, yeah. organic. I mean, it, it has like this dark, pulsating vibe. It, it's, it's larger than life. Um, so not everything that Martin Birch did had the same effect, you know, from album to album. But I, I think if Ronnie had gotten Martin Birch involved with this, I think we would have had something that probably would have been closer to like a rising or you know, heaven and hell or somewhere in between heaven and hell and mob rules or something. I think it would have helped it along a little bit. I mean, even the songs that we're talking about that, you know, they're not bad, but they're not great. You don't drop typically when you bring this album out, you don't typically drop the needle on gypsy or caught in the middle. I, I don't, but right. I enjoy hearing them along the way. Right. You know, right. I enjoy, I enjoy the journey uh, from Holy Diver to a highlight on side one, which would be don't talk to strangers. And Gypsy and Caught in the Middle are along for the ride. I'm cool with that, but I don't drop the needle on those two songs in particular. But maybe with a better production, you know, it could have been bumped up, could have been amped up a little bit. We could have had more of a guitar tone that might have been something you, you look forward to hearing, something that, you know, creates a little bit more excitement. I think that's, I think that's the only thing that, that I can cite as, as anything close to a complaint about it. Um, the lack of production, the lack of dynamic production, make some of these songs sound a little thin. You know? Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Well, you mentioned Don't Talk to Strangers. That's the last song on side A. This this is a, I'd say, a highlight on the record. Uh, yeah. One of the ones that Ronnie had worked on, uh, he, that he wrote, that he was working with Vinny before they even had a guitar player or a bass player. I love the intro to this, Ronnie's uh, delivery here. This is something that he does very well, this, this ability to do these sort of soft, whispered type vocals and then to have the song kicks in really heavy and it, it's, um, you know, he's, he takes it up a couple notches with his, with his vocals. So great, great vocal delivery. I like the lyrics. 
in this one. Uh, this has fantastic guitar playing. That that main riff in the verse is great. It's got a great guitar solo from Vivian. I, I especially like the way the uh, guitar solo comes out and it sort of drops into like halftime type feel yeah. and Ronnie is sort of wailing over the top, over the top of it, yeah. you know, right before the last verse comes in. It's, it's just a very well-written song and it's not particularly long. It's four minutes and 53 seconds, uh, but it packs a lot of punch. It's got a lot of uh, nice movement inside it and a lot of nice uh, dynamics and changes to it. So for me, this is a real, real highlight of the record. Interestingly, some of my favorite riffs on here were uh, were written by Ronnie, <laughs> Holy Diver and Don't Talk to Strangers. So Ronnie, uh, Ronnie was able to write the cool riff when, when he wanted to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is definitely the highlight of the album for me. Um, I mean, the first time I heard it, I was, I was swept away by it in much the same way that I think I was when I first heard Children of the Sea. Uh, this is the this is a song that really sold the album for me. This is when I had decided that I was going to listen to this album every day uh, for you know at least a month or so. Don't talk to strangers. Pretty exciting. Starts out mellow, but you know something's coming, and when it does, it's pretty cool. Um, it's it's not heavy like it drops as in a Sabbath kind of a way, where it's like maybe a Children of the Sea or Son of the Southern Cross, or Falling Off the Edge of the World. This starts off in the same sweet, you know, mellow, Ronnie voice, uh, clean guitar picking, sets it up for something to follow. First time hearing it, you don't know what, but you know from past experience that it, it's going to be something. But when it takes a lift off, gets into that fast riff, it, it, it's got a lot of energy, and it's really, really cool. So... Um, yeah, this is definitely the highlight of the album for me. Um, and, you know, when we're talking about, when we, we first started talking about the history of this album, and this is one of the two songs that Ronnie had intended to, to bring to Sabbath. It's also, you can't help but think, what would this have sounded like in a Black Sabbath context? How would this have come across? What would Tony have done to it? You know, with Tony Iommi's tone, would, it have, would that riff still sound the same? Would he have changed a little bit? Would he have made it better? Would it not have been as good? It's interesting to think about that, but you can hear it um, in the progression from the mellow to the point where it kicks in. You can hear that being part of a Sabbath song. I could definitely hear that. Yeah, and yeah. I could hear again. This this is where if if this was done with Sabbath, that intro, that guitar intro there would have had more layers to it. There maybe yeah. would have been in it like you know you think of. Uh, sign of the southern cross and uh, children of the sea and like these late there would have been like an acoustic guitar and there would have been layered parts to it i could see iomi taking that germ of that idea and expanding on it and putting more layers to it yeah. and i guess that's something that i do sort of miss on this this record like i hear that riff at the beginning that little pick the guitar thing at the beginning it's like yeah that's that's really cool and if i was a producer i would be like Hey, let's put an acoustic guitar on top of that. Let's add some harmonies then as it goes along. Let's, yeah. let's really build. Right. And he does a little bit to a certain extent, but I just could have seen it done more if it was done like he, like we mentioned with with yeah. Tony Iommi. He would have layered more into it, and it would have been produced a little bit more. There would have, maybe there would have been a little 
keyboard thing, you know, holding out a note in the background, adding some, some moody texture to it. I, I could just picture, you know, again, Iomi or Blackmore just doing, doing more uh, with it. And, and maybe this is just, you know, Vivian, he's young and, and we've mentioned this already. He sort of comes in and he's just kind of, you know, following whatever Dio's lead, yeah. Ronnie's lead on, on a lot of this stuff. But this is where I, I, great, great song. Love it. Probably my second favorite song on the record, but I could still just hear a little bit more. It's just like, man, if it was just given that little bit of a Tony Iommi mob rules era touched, it would just would have been a little bit more to like the intro to this song and the textures of it. Even the main riff in the verse, you can really picture Iommi maybe taking that down lower and giving it like a, uh, the song I vibe to it, you know, way more pummeling and, and pounding and, and, and heavy to it. So the contrast would have been even more dynamic yeah. from that right. intro to, to the main riff. But all that yeah, said, yeah. it's still, it's a fantastic, it's yeah. still a fantastic song. And yeah, yeah. You, you're like me. You drive yourself crazy thinking about the possibilities, how, how much better <laughs> this could have been if Tony, Tony Iommi played on it. Uh, but, but I think you're, I think you're right. I mean, you could, like I said, I mean, you could just go on and on. What would, wow, what would Tony have done with this? And and I think of the possibilities of that and wow, how much better would it have been? You know, I mean, think of it on even simpler terms of somebody behind the production helm with, with some creative vision, what they could have done with it. Like you said, possibly putting an acoustic guitar in the beginning and, and developing more atmosphere so that when it does come in and that punch of that, that fast riff comes in it to be even more effective. Um, you know, that, that's also something to consider, but we don't have that, but what we do have is this, and as it is, it's, it's, it's sufficient. Um, but you know, I mean, you can't help along the way and we're going to go from song to song and we're going to, we're going to talk about the strengths of the song. And ultimately I think the common thread throughout all of this is going to be that the only really downside to this album is the fact that production wise it just doesn't have a lot of energy it almost sounds like a well-rounded well-produced air quotes demo yeah that somebody with uh, production experience could have taken and said oh wow this is great i know what i can do with this i can really you know i, I can blow this up in cinematic proportions um but it didn't get to that point and it wasn't designed to it was designed to sound like this and as it is it's effective it's just knowing where Dio came from and knowing some of the bombacity of, of the songs that he's been involved with writing like a stargazer or uh, heaven and hell yeah, and Gates things of like Babylon. that. I mean, yeah. you, you could just hear the potential for these ideas to come to greater fruition with possibly a better guitar player, not, not necessarily better, let's say more seasoned and, and, a, and, a, and a professional producer. So that's unfortunate but i don't want to diminish this album as being a great album i mean i i love it i but i i just can't help but think and because of ronnie's resume and where he was yeah in comparison to where he is here on this album it's 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 a bit of a step down yeah yeah and it's like you said because we don't want to make it sound like we don't like this record we we love this record but when you're coming out of rainbow and black sabbath you know that's Year. Yeah, 1983 was, was not a good year for me. Coming coming out of 1982, man, I was I was high on the hard rock and heavy metal. I you know I was I was on cloud nine. I had there was so many good things that came out. 
Um, so excited about discovering some of these new bands to me, new at the time. Um, and, and some of the band, some of the albums that the bands I had liked prior to 1982 had come out with in 1982. And then 1983 just seemed like it was a disappointment. Um, I was a big Ozzy fan. Uh, I, I make no bones about the fact that I am not a big fan of Bark at the Moon. I was disappointed by that. Um, I was so excited about Black Sabbath 1981 and even in 1982 on Live Evil because we had great versions, live versions of Voodoo and Children of the Sea. And I was excited about that. Um, but then that ended and we had Dio went off and did this album, which was cool. I mean, I liked it, but was it as good as Mob Rules? No. And then Sabbath, well, then they went on and did uh, Born Again, which we're going to get into that soon enough. And I have, you know, a lot of things to say about that. But that was a bit of a disappointment in a lot of ways for me. So, you know, I, I felt like that, that there was a, a curve in the road that I didn't that I didn't anticipate and was a little bit disappointed by. But you know, things would kind of straighten out by 1984, more or less. But um, what, when things shifted a bit, um, as far as lineup changes in, in certain bands, I, I think it went down a road where, where some of the things that I had counted on and got really excited about was like buckling up for the ride. All of a sudden, the ride was over. And, uh, and that <laughs> majestic, epic Black Sabbath sound that I just gotten used to, that I just re resigned myself to saying, okay, I give up. I like it. I'm on board. I love Black Sabbath, regardless of who's singing, whether it's Ozzy or Dio, you got me. And then it, and then it changes, you know? <laughs> so I, I felt like, ah, oh, a little bit disappointed, but you know, I mean, you compare even then I'll take 19, I'll take 1983 over 2022, any day of the week. <laughs> yeah. You know, and you know what? 83 was a real sort of transitional year in metal. You're, the new wave of British heavy metal was was starting to run out of steam a little bit. Yeah. Uh, where this is the dawn of the LA scene, Motley Crue and Quiet Riot are getting ready to or releasing their albums. Uh, the Us Festival, I think, happens around 83, 84. Uh, you get, uh, you know, just uh, uh, the thrash bit thrash is starting to bubble, you know, Metallica and, mm -hmm. and those yeah. guys are on the cusp of, of uh, coming out with their stuff and the thrash band. So it's a, it's a metal starting to splinter off in different directions. So, yeah, it's, definitely, sure. it's, a, yeah, <laughs> it's an interesting I, year. It is. It, it's really, you know, and, and sometimes when things get popular, they get kind of lame. But 1983 was when metal really became popular. I remember getting, I remember Hit Parader magazine went from like a, uh, a more or less a newspaper quality publication to all of a sudden glossy. And on the cover now you had Angus Young and Bruce Dickinson and Ozzy Osbourne and Rob Halford. Metal was definitely up and coming. 1983, I guess probably for the next two years, I mean, that was, it was the mainstream. I mean, you any any music publication you picked up had somebody you know uh one of the ones one of the artists i just mentioned plus then he had the glam thing was coming up and at that time and in it's in its infancy stages was pretty cool there wasn't as much of a division between 
you know, bands like Motley Crue and Iron Maiden. Of course, Ozzy was touring with with Motley Crue. And so there really wasn't that whole glam thing hadn't like pulled away from the heavy metal, the traditional heavy metal scene just yet. So it was all pretty much inclusive and it was pretty exciting. Um, so in spite of the fact that some of the people that I relied on as being consistent that suddenly stopped being that same uh, situation, there was other things to direct my attention to in 1983. And there was a lot of, a lot of music, yeah. on, a lot of heavy music going on. So yeah, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. <laughs> I just double checked 83. You had shout at the devil. You had metal health and you had kill them all. Yeah. All came out in 83. So really interesting. All right. Side two opens with straight through the heart. This is uh, one I always really liked. I, I like the main riff in this one. It's really heavy. Uh, Vinny Apice. This is right in his wheelhouse. The sort of uh, laid back mid tempo, but really heavy drumming. Nobody plays a straightforward beat like uh, Vinny Apice does. He can take just a simple straight beat and just make it sound really huge. He's one of the few drummers who just the tone, who has his own unique drum tone that's pretty consistent through most of the things that he does. Uh, great riff. Uh, that's what really sells this one for me. This is a Jimmy Bain Dio uh, written number. Yeah, yeah it, it, it's, a, it's a fist pounder for sure. Um, yeah, Vinny sounds great on it. And you're right, he does have a personality with his drums that I think it's not a lot of drummers can say that. There's not a lot of drummers that that do. Certainly John Bonham was one. Cozy Powell was another, even though Cozy Powell from time to time would sort of hook up on projects where he didn't really have his signature sound come across in the studio. But Vinny, Vinny almost always did. And you can really hear Vinny on this. Drums are really drums are really tight fills are, are great like i said um he's coming away from the sabbath style where I, I think they were not really they didn't really embrace him being as flamboyant um of a player when he first came into sabbath they wanted somebody that sounded a little bit more like bill and you know vinnie backed way off and it it ended up good because he just became a really heavy uh hard-hitting drummer like, you know, the expression throwing boulders definitely applies. But like I said, you know, Vinny, he breaks out of that on this album. And you can really hear him come through, you know, with the fills and real solid beat. Um, you know, he's got a swagger. And you can definitely hear that swagger on, on Straight Through the Heart. Um, yeah, it, it, again, it, it's another great album opener, side two in this case. Uh, yeah, it's a great song. All right. Next, we have Invisible. This this is uh, this is one I've always really liked. It's a deep deep cut of sorts. If you were to pick from this record, I, I don't think the band from this era, you know, this this original band. I don't, I'm not sure if they ever played this one live. But if I remember the story, the intro riff of this song, something happened. They 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 were playing something and playing a, a riff, a pattern. And the engineer mistakenly put the tape in backwards. So it was playing it backwards and they thought yeah. it sounded cool. So they went with it. Uh, I, I like the intro of it. I, I love the lyrics in this one. Uh, Ronnie's delivery at the beginning here, again, he's the master of these more 
being able to pull his voice back into a more gentle zone here. You know, this line, if your circle stays unbroken, then you're a lucky man because it never, never, never has for me. And I love the part in the song when it comes out of uh, towards the end there. And uh, Ronnie does the, well, I grew up quick and I felt the kick of life upon a stage. So I bought the book and took a fast look at just the very last page. It was a single word that I just heard from the two that came before. The only way to really stay is to walk right out the door. I always thought that the way he delivers that line, the lyrics in this are, are Great, love it. Uh, classic, classic Dio. Uh, cool song. Yeah. It's it's a great. You know, if I were to pick a deep cut from this album, uh, uh, this this would be it. Uh, yeah, he's got a real good rhythm with the with the verses with the with the melody. It's forceful. It's assertive. Uh, it does give a give him that that sense of attitude. You know, the lyrics you just read, you, you can hear that. It's very very audible. Um, got a lot of attitude um what's strange about it though is it starts off when it's like this this like camelot or or, or dungeons and dragons <laughs> type phrase or two and all of a sudden it gets into like this you know uh it goes in a lot of different things and it go, moves from like a esoteric uh, you know almost like an ethereal kind of imagery and theme behind the lyrics and then the music kicks in after that swelling sound and then it gets into like a contemporary like you know uh, telling a tale of somebody that you know is running away or something it's like it's all over the place but there are certain takeaway phrases what i like to call riff phrases where you know you just hear that it doesn't really matter what the overall theme is it's just a couple lines or two that are like yeah that's cool i like that i like what he's saying there it's like a riff a riff phrase or a riff line and there's a lot of those in here and and i guess that that's that's the main takeaway other than the fact that you know it moves along pretty cool good melody there's not a bad song on the album i mean everything's pretty much airtight as far as melodies and yeah. verses and nothing overstays its welcome there's no there's nothing that's bloated there, there's, there's no guitar solo that sounds um out of place or too long or too short everything is just right i mean it's, it's a very well written album um in in fact in in, in some cases and I, i'm going to cite this song as one of them maybe a little bit too clean. It's a little bit too antiseptic. This is a very uh, compact song. It's, it, doesn't, it doesn't really challenge you too much. Uh, it sits well, but it's also in that it's also pretty easy to overlook and kind of move on to the next song. And when you have a song as strong as the next one. <laughs> Which is the big hit, if you will, from this album, Rainbow in the Dark. Uh, it's kind of funny because Ronnie talks about how he didn't really like this song and the other guys in the band had to convince him uh, to put this on the record, which yeah. is funny because, you know, of course, it turns into his big hit. And this is uh, written, uh, all the guys get in on the writing credits on this, uh, uh, Vinny, Jimmy, Vivian yeah. and Ronnie, they all get a writing credit on this. I also love the story. I've seen Vivian Campbell. You know, Jimmy, Jimmy Bain, from all accounts, was, was quite the character. He was, yeah. he was a guy that uh, loved his drink, yeah. uh, knew, how to, knew how to party, and knew how to have fun. Yeah. And uh, Vivian tells the story about them. You know, they had laid down the basic tracks for Rainbow in the Dark, and there was a keyboard set up in the room there in the studio. And the, the song is playing and Jimmy's standing there with a, 
with a drink in one hand, a cigarette in another, and he walks over to the keyboard, puts the cigarette in his mouth, and plays that little signature keyboard like that. You know, just plays it, and that was it. And then they said, okay, I hit record. And they just did, and bam, there it was. I find it really interesting. You know, you can find interviews with uh, Vivian where he talks about where a lot of different uh, riffs and little parts came from in these songs. And I think it's really cool that, you know, it was at this point, it was a real band uh, vibe for Ronnie. And he talks about in his book, how he wanted that, how he wanted the feeling of it to be a band type of thing. And even though it was, you know, Dio is a, is a band and it's, obvious Ronnie with his past experiences that he was the focal point of it he still wanted that that camaraderie and that atmosphere of band thing and, and everybody really did uh contribute and it's it's kind of interesting that something as simple as that keyboard line is really like the hook of the song when you hear that song kick in that that simple keyboard line is a big, big, big hook to it. And it's, I think it's pretty cool the way that, uh, you know, they, they were all sort of involved in this. And these songs, from the way they talk about it, these songs were all written with them together in a room, except for the songs that Ronnie and Vinny had worked on before Vivian showed up. Uh, but they basically got in a room together and would jam on riffs and then Ronnie would open up a notebook and, and just go for it. So uh, this, this, this is, this is a great song. It's, it's, it's super catchy. It's super memorable. Uh, yeah. When this comes on, you're, you're getting ready for a band to come on stage and this song comes on, everybody's singing along. Whenever I hear this, I just picture that video in my head of Ronnie on that roof, pointing at the, pointing at the camera with his, scarves and his boots and everything and it's uh it's a great song great guitar solo too this is this is another one where vivian really knocks it out of the park on this there's that spot in the guitar solo where i don't know what it is it was like there's an echo or a delay or something where he's doing like this and it has this like effect on it that is just super super cool so yeah. fantastic song uh right to the point like you were saying earlier a lot of four minutes and 15 seconds here for rainbow in the dark there's no messing around with any of this stuff there's no side two of rainbow rising where there's all these guitar solos and keyboard solos you know the songs they get right to the point and this one it really works well this is a really well crafted uh just a really well crafted song yeah this is one where you um I, I know I heard, and, and my my experience with Rainbow prior to this was was pretty limited. I, I did have Richie Blackmore's Rainbow, and I didn't like it as much then as I as I have since then. Uh, certainly, Man on the Silver Mountain was a highlight for me. It was pretty much why I bought the album, uh, hearing it on the radio. Um, 16th Century Green Sleeves I liked, uh, Temple of the King, but some of the other songs, eh, not so much. But uh, Man on a Silver Mountain really gravitated to that song. Um, and when I heard Rainbow in the Dark, I thought it sounded reminiscent of Dio's time in Rainbow. And I, and I love the keyboards for something that was more or less just kind of like added in as sort of a casual thing, like the way you describe it, Jimmy walking over and just, hey, you know, I'm going to add this. It, it became such a prominent part of the song. And one of the reasons why I liked it so much, it just added a, 
an extra layer of atmosphere and this regal, majestic, you know, Blackmore right, rainbow rising, Blackmore, Richie Blackmore's rainbow yeah. kind of vibe to it. And it's what I had hoped to hear from, you know, the singer, at least one of the two situations, either the Black Sabbath situation or the rainbow situation, at least from rainbow in the dark, I can hear that. And I, you know, I got, I remember getting chills and it was like, wow, hearing it on the radio for the first time. And it's what led me to buy the album. So, yeah, I mean, one of the stronger songs it definitely has a lot of, a lot of personality. Um, it, 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 it definitely has uh, that, that certain quality that I, I, I was looking for from a Ronnie James Dio or Dio band album that I don't see enough on the album. Um, but I mean, like we said, you know, every song is good. It, it has a flow and I guess in a way it's moving from the highlights of the album through the songs to the next highlight. And that's kind of where we are on side two, you know, straight to the hearts of highlight invisible sort of, okay, you know, it's along for the ride. And then you get to rainbow in the dark and then, you know, there's a lot of satisfaction there with that. And then we close out the album with Shame on the Night. Uh, another deep cut that I always like this one. This is probably the most Sabbathy mm-hmm. sounding one on this, especially at the end of the song, that riff at the end. Dun, 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 bum, 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 bum. Always reminded me of... Uh, the Beatles uh, end of the song She's So Heavy. So heavy. Yeah, yeah, and it has that kind of feel to it. Like yeah. the sound of the uh, wolf in the distance there. And yeah, the way, the, the, just the whole thing has a real sort of... Boom, 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 boom. Has a real intense, uh, heavy, heavy vibe to it. I always dug the, the way the rhythm in the beginning of the song in the verses they're holding out the chords shame on the night you know it's kind of like that but then at the end when it comes in on that last verse it's more like shame on the night you know it changes the feel a little bit it gets a a little bit more heavier there and and the way the song goes out uh, you know, the way Ronnie takes it out and just, just the way the whole thing goes out with that, that ending there. And there's like, it fades out. I think that that's super cool to have the last song on the record fade out. So this, this is a, this is a real favorite of mine, bit of a deep cut. They did play this song uh, live during this era, but uh, I think it's a great song. It's, it's maybe next to Holy Diver, the heaviest song mm-hmm. on the record, maybe this Holy Diver and straight through the heart. Uh, so this checked off the box. This kind of felt like, man, I'm just a little bit more of this on this album. Yeah. You know, this had that 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 dark vibe, that that heavy vibe to it that I was kind of hoping to get a little bit um, more of. But it's it's a great album closer, and it, it takes it, the album out on a really, uh, you know, a really heavy heavy note. Yeah, you basically have to wait until the end of the album to get the Rainbow slash Black Sabbath song vibes. And of course, Rainbow in the Dark is similar to, to Rainbow. And Shame on the Night is, is similar to Sabbath. It, in, in similar to, to Holy Diver, but Shame on the Night, especially in its placement and its sequence on the album being the, the album closer, kind of, 
whereas it's a little bit different, um, maybe not as good, again, with the air quotes, as uh, lonely as the word or over and over, certainly not as oppressively heavy as over and over, but it does kind of have that take it out on a slower note. You know, you've got some, some high energy songs that travel through the course of the album, but it all culminates to, you know, a vamping out slow, um, heavy song to, to take the album out in, in similar fashion to Lonely is the Word and over and over. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a great song. I love how you said about the wolf in the beginning. That's pretty cool. And then it kind of creeps in like, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> yeah. And then Vivian does those pick slides. I've always been a big fan of pick slides. Yeah. And then the main riff comes in. That's 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 really cool. Goes through like three or four times, and on the fourth time, it just kicks in. Boom, 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 and then just takes it. You know, from that point on, into a heavy, a much heavier direction. Uh, another thing that's kind of interesting is that little that little squirrely voice thing. At yeah, the yeah. It's kind yeah. of similar to some of the things that were going on on Blizzard of Oz with, with yeah. Ozzy's voice. Dio says something you could tell. It sounds like his voice was was sped up or something. It reminds me of one of those things on Blizzard of Oz. Um, but yeah, I mean, it closes out the album and uh, basically gives uh, puts Dio the band on the map. Um, he tours for it. I think he toured with Twisted Sister. He toured with quite a few bands. He, he did quite a bit of touring on this album before we went back in the studio to do the follow-up, but uh, we had tickets to see him with T Twisted Sister, and I don't, don't remember what the circumstances were, but we ended up not going. I didn't I didn't see Dio until the next tour. I saw him with, uh, again, with Twisted Sister on The Last in Line, which was quite the spectacle with the stage show and everything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, I'm sorry I missed him on this tour. I would have liked to have seen him. Um, seen video and stuff and looks really cool. I yeah, think he was it, wearing some of the same same clothing that he wore in Sabbath. It was like, or maybe he modified it, but it was like the purple and black. Yeah. There's sleeves thing. Or maybe he like cut the sleeve so it was like shoulder length instead of like the long wizard sleeve. But yeah. So yeah, at this point we've got we've got Ozzy rolling along full steam. We've got Dio now has a solo career that's that's now been initiated from this album, and Sabbath is still rolling along, and we're going to hear uh, going to hear a new Sabbath album soon enough. And so now what we had was was one band we we splintered out into like yeah. three different directions. It's pretty interesting, yeah. you know, all yeah. born from, from the the idea behind one one musical direction is now you know, caused two spinoffs from former lead singers. Pretty interesting. Yeah. And I kind of felt like, all right, well, if I can't have Ronnie and Black Sabbath, at least I'm getting, I, if I tried to put a positive spin on it, it was kind of like, now I'm getting three albums from the Black Sabbath family. Tree. Yeah. I'm getting Black Sabbath. I'm getting Ozzy. I'm getting a deal record. You know, this is an embarrassment of riches at, yeah. at this point. Yeah. That, that's pretty much that. That's, that's kind of how it was. It's like, well, you know, you've got you've got three things now. You've got both singers and Black Sabbath, and you've got Black Sabbath moving along. Let's and then it was like the spotlight now was like, okay, well, we know Ozzy's Ozzy's got a great career. These these two albums, Blizzard of Oz and Diary of a Madman, are they're 
solid gold. Uh, we've got Holy Diver, which is, you know, I don't think anybody was disappointed by it at the time. You know, everybody embraced it for the most part. If you like Black Sabbath, if you like Rainbow, you, you dug Dio's solo album. Now the eyes were turning towards, back towards Black Sabbath. It's like, okay, what are you going to do now? You know, where, where are things going to go from here? And of course, the press, you know, release was that, you know, Ian Gillen, like, oh my God, this is going to be amazing. <laughs> Can you imagine how well, awesome this is going to be? I, I, I was, I for one was excited. I read about yeah. it. And I saw some of the early promo pictures. I'm like, oh my God, this is just going to, this is going to blow everything off the face of the earth. There's only going to be one, there's only going to be one band that matters. And it's going to be Black Sabbath because now they have Ian Gillen. It's going to be incredible. <laughs> we'll find out more about and that. And we'll find out. And that's going to be our next episode here as we move chronologically along. We have uh, Born Again would be the, the next album to be released here in the Black Sabbath family tree. So, so that's what we got coming up next. We, we won't give away uh, too much how we feel about Born Again. That's going to be a really interesting discussion. That's That's a... That's, a, that's an album that gets Black Sabbath fans talking. You know, if you want to stir up some interesting sure. conversations, throw out Born Again and uh, pass it around the table and, and see, what, see what people say. People have strong opinions oh, about yeah. that album going in uh, all kinds of different directions. Oh, yeah. so it's going to be a fun one. Yep, for sure. People definitely get very, very possessive about their Born Again. Um, and you know what? I, well, we'll talk more about it in the next podcast. <laughs> All right. Well, everybody out there, you can sit on the edge of your seat there waiting for our next one. We'd like to, uh, next one there with Born Again. Uh, we'd like to thank you for listening to this episode. Thank you for listening to, to all the episodes and supporting us here with the podcast. We do really appreciate it. Check us out on <clears throat> Facebook. You can reach us there on Facebook if you would like to communicate with us. And... Uh, we'll see you again uh, next time with Born Again.